So, Jonna, thank you for that. That was a lovely reading. And, Eli, thank you for leading the music today. That's a gift to us all. There's a reason Psalms is in the middle of the Bible, and it's because music speaks to us in ways that just nothing else does, and we're grateful for that gift. And if I will return the favor and take a personal privilege, I I don't think I have a closer friend in ministry and maybe not in the world than Todd Still. And I was grateful for the invitation to come and be with you and with Carolyn and with all of you today. William DeGraffenreid was the chairman of the first committee that ever called me to serve as the pastor of a church, and they're still uh, holding him to that account. Um, (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, And I'm excited for all of you. I, I was in the first class at Truett. That means I'm old. Uh, We were at uh, First Baptist Church Waco in 1994 when all of that started, and we had this dream that we could do something new in theological education that would be for the church and for the world, pro-ecclesia and pro-texana. And you are living into the embodiment of that. I I have known all of the deans of Truett uh, and liked most of them. Um, That's not true. I liked all of them. Uh, But you have the best one. And I will tell you around the state and around the country, when I talk with other pastors about what's happening at Truett, there is a uniform sense of joy about the kind of students who are coming out of Truett, the kind of formation that's happening here, and Todd's vision and direction and leadership here at the seminary. That's not true just in churches. Uh, When I talk to people in denominational leadership roles, and for me, that's usually at the BGCT or at CBF. There's just no one more respected in theological education than Todd Still. Uh, What he's crafting here and the direction he's leading you, I think for decades to come, when you look back on your time here, you'll come to appreciate what a truly special time this was and what an incredible gift you've been handed. So kudos to you. I hope you relish every bit of it. Uh, I, I think this is my third time to preach chapel over a long period of time. And I came up with a strategy, and I just want to tell you what it is in advance. I'm going to preach for you today the sermon that I preached Sunday at South Main. Uh, There are two reasons for that. The first is it's a lot easier on me, uh, and I'm all for what's easier on me. And the second is I think you ought to have a sense of what working preachers do when they preach to their churches. Uh, What does it sound like when you're trying to communicate to the same people? For me, I've been speaking... Uh, to a core group of people and then a parade behind them, some coming in, some going out, uh, for 18 years now. And so they've heard what I have to say, and I I take great joy and comfort in knowing God has yet more truth and light to break forth from His Word. So we're going to do that today, and here it is. Uh, Dan Yeary was returning to Phoenix after a speaking engagement, made it through security, gotten through the lobby at the airport, was Uh, found his seat on the plane, buckled his seatbelt, got his book out, which was his custom. And as the plane was making its taxi down the runway, the pilot came over the intercom and said, there's going to be no beverage service on the flight today because we're expecting turbulence. So he noted that. The pilot said that he was going to have the flight crew stay in their seats for the duration of the flight. And sure enough, even on the climb out, the plane kind of shook a little bit. And when they got to the cruising altitude, it it jostled right and left and shuddered up and down. And the pilot came back on the intercom and said, folks, this is not going to be a good altitude for us. I'm going to try to find another. And they tried another, but it jostled back and forth and it shuddered up and down. And they tried another and it was the same thing. And the pilot said, you know, we're about halfway way. There's no sense in turning around. It's just going to be a rough flight. 
Dan said even seasoned travelers had put their books away and put their laptops back away. There was an eerie quiet all through the cabin of the airplane, save one 11-year-old boy. And he thought, this is the greatest roller coaster in the history of the world. And every time the plane jostled, he'd say, woo-hoo! And every time it shuddered, he'd say, yeah! At some point in the flight, the plane felt like it dropped a couple of hundred feet and hit a hard floor, and the airbags came out. The oxygen masks deployed. And at that point, people weren't reaching for the oxygen masks. They were reaching for the motion sickness bags. But the pilot came back on and said, folks, everything was okay. That was just a shock, a shock and a shudder. And the boy kept right on going, woo-hoo! Finally, the plane uh, mercifully landed in Phoenix, and nobody moved for their bags before the bell went ding. And there was a quiet in the cabin, and then when the plane stopped, still no one had moved, and the, the pilot got out to greet the passengers, and Dan said, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to hug him or hit him. Storms do that to us, don't they? Storms are a really good metaphor for what we experience in the course of our lives. Just take a minute, it won't take you long, and think about a time in your life where you were in your element. You were at work and you were navigating a world that you understand how to maneuver through and things were fine. Or you're at home and you're healthy or your family's healthy and there's a rhythm to your life that makes sense and suddenly and unexpectedly everything began to change and go south and none of the strategies that you know how to employ to make life work seem to be working right now. There's a real chance that everything's going to go south. And it jostles. And it shakes. What do you do when that happens? How do you feel when that happens? My question for you this morning is, what difference would it make in your life or in the life of of the people with whom you interact in those moments or in the way that you process decisions or just how you experience the time if fear was not a part of that equation. We're going to talk about miracles this morning. And so I just want to tell you something before we get there. I believe in miracles. I decided a long time ago, I believe in the two biggest miracles. The first is God made everything out of nothing with a word because he is love. And the second is that Jesus physically died on the cross and was bodily raised on the third day. And God sent him back to us because he loves us. And so if I'm going to believe the two big ones, I'm just not going to get tripped up on the little ones. Can Jesus walk on the water? Sure. Can Jesus feed 5,000 men and their families with two fish from a lake and five loaves of barley bread? No problem. Can Jesus heal us physically as well as spiritually? Yep, that is not problematic for me. Now that said, 
Today I have, and I offer to you a profound ignorance. And it is this. I have no idea why God chooses sometimes and some places and some lives and not others in which to intervene miraculously. I have sat with people in my congregation and prayed for a miracle. And God has said yes. I have been with people who have been told their cancer is fatal and there is no cure and they have this long left to live and we worship together week in and week out. I have been with a woman who was told that the chemotherapy that they used to cure her breast cancer has so fried her innards that she could never conceive a child. And I have carried that child around our sanctuary. I have been there when God said yes. And I have prayed with and for others that I love, and I have prayed about people in my own family whom I love and asked for God to perform a miracle, and he said no. And I do not understand the calculus that separates the yes from the no. So I made a commitment a long time ago to believe this. Because I know the character of God and that his heart is love, I choose to believe that his yes and his no come from the same heart of love, even when I do not understand the difference. So I just want to tell you, when we talk about miracles, we have to admit we don't know why God does them in some places and other places, and we need to affirm we do know why God performs miracles. We know why miracles happen. Miracles happen because what happens to us makes a difference to God. And it is the heart of God to move heaven and earth for us. So this morning we're going to talk about a story, and it might not sound like a healing miracle to you, but I want you to know that if you will heed its message, it has the power to heal even us, even today. It's in the gospel according to Mark. It's in the fourth chapter. We're going to begin together in the 35th verse. If you brought a Bible this morning, would you open it there or, you know, turn on your screen and do that thing you do. Um, Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. If you don't have a Bible, I will share it with you without lying. This is what the scripture says. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind and bringing Jesus along just as he was in the boat, and there were other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the, the waves broke against the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a sandbag. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus got up. And rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Peace, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. And Jesus said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And they said to one another, 
Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. So the Sea of Galilee is in a depression between two hills. And these fast-moving storms develop there, and the winds come down between those hills, and like a funnel, it channels them into this mighty force until it produces these incredibly turbulent waves there on the lake. In fact, the word that's used here for the squall is the same word the book of Job uses to describe the tornado from which God speaks. And it's that kind of storm that has come down hard and fast on this little flotilla of boats and the waves are are crashing over the sides of the boat and these expert fishermen who spent their whole lives on this lake are terrified and Jesus is asleep in the stern on a sandbag and the disciples Wake him, and they say to him, don't you care? And those are words we know. Those are words we have offered to God when the storms have raged in our own lives. This is our story now. And they offer our questions. They're playing our role. This is that, and they are us. The disciples awaken Jesus and he rebuked the wind, peace, be still, shh, stop that. And they did. The disciples asked Jesus, don't you care? And Jesus asked the disciples, why don't you trust God? Don't you know the one who created us can care for us? Don't you know that the maker of all things can mend whatever is broken in your life? It's a really good question. Why are we so afraid? I mean, after all, didn't Jesus promise that everything was going to be all right? And hasn't that been the experience in our own lives again and again? We find ourselves at the absolute end of our ropes. And then something from somewhere comes, and we make it. We survive. If we're honest, probably all of us would admit that everybody at some point has come up to the very edge of our breaking point. And something was there and held us, and we did not break. Mysteriously, something came to us over the troubled waters and gave us what we needed most in that moment, but never had before. And that's been our experience. Except when it hasn't. I was talking with my friend uh, Barkley Thompson. Barkley is the dean at Christ Church Cathedral in downtown Houston. One of the great joys of ministry is finding out, uh, unlike the way people do theological education in other places, when you get out in the church, you just Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Episcopalians, all kinds of folks, we just meet together for bread and praise Jesus and get along with the work. Now, Barkley and I were talking about this passage, and he gave me what I believe is the key for understanding it really at its deepest level. What Barkley said is this passage is so often taught and preached 
as if Jesus' questions to the disciples were functionally saying, didn't you know God, God would not let our boat be capsized? But Jesus did not say that. And Jesus did not mean that. And Jesus never promised that everything's going to turn out just fine or even that the boat's going to keep an even keel. Jesus lives in the gritty, real world. The world where the cross is the cost of sin and the measure of his love. And Jesus knows that indeed sometimes storms upend our lives. What Jesus wants to convey to his disciples is that even when the storms sink us, God is with us. And that's why Jesus was able to sleep in the stern of the boat on the sandbag while the tempest raged. By the way, in the entire New Testament, this is the only place where it talks about Jesus sleeping. And he does it in a storm. Because God abides with us in love. When we sail and when we sink. When we have fair wind in the following seas and when we're on the dark and dirty side of the hurricane, God shares our joys and bears our sorrows. One of my mentors growing up was a fellow named John Claypool. And John Claypool was like a number of white kids in the South, principally raised by an African-American maid. And among the spiritual nuggets of wisdom and deep truths that she planted into his heart and his mind were these two. When, she, when he was little, she used to tell him, Johnny, you remember, there is only one God. Nothing else is as big. And ain't nothing going to happen today that you and the Lord together can't handle. Do you have a sense of how it shapes you and forms you when that truth is inside you? The scripture says about Jesus that he experienced every emotion that has ever come to any of us. He knew grief and he knew joy. He knew anger and frustration. He knew what it was to want to help someone. And he knew what it was to have that help refused. He knew what it was to be in contentious quarrels. And he knew the exhilaration and the joy of a party. He knew every emotion that we experience apparently save one. Nowhere in the Gospels is it ever recorded that Jesus experienced fear. Nowhere are we ever told anywhere that, that Jesus recoiled from reality in a sense of panic. Why is that? Because there's only one God and nothing else is as big. Because ain't nothing going to happen today that the you and the Lord together can't handle. Would you go back with me to the tarmac at the airport in Phoenix? Dan's on the airplane and it's just landed and it has come to a stop and the bell went ding. And people still haven't gotten up. And the pilot has come out to greet the, the passengers that were under his charge. 
And while everyone is sitting still, kind of still white-knuckled and figuring out their experience in that moment, that 11-year-old boy unbuckled his seatbelt, jumped out of his seat, ran down the aisle, and leapt into the pilot's arms. And he said, Daddy, that was great! He was never afraid in the storm because he knew he was in his father's care. When you know that, there is no storm in this world that is greater than the power of God's love. And when you know that, there is no darkness in this world that is greater than God's light. There is only one God. Nothing else is as big. And ain't nothing going to happen today that you and the Lord together can't handle. If we were to ever apprehend, if we were to ever understand the miracle that is the love of God, if we were to really choose to believe that what happens to us makes a difference to God, if we would hold fast to those deep truths of our faith, we would not fear. No matter how great the storm, we would know God is greater still. Well, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, bring your kingdom in all the earth. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us, for we are sinners. Change us and make us so that we are less of what we used to be and more of what we ought to be. Holy Spirit, renew the whole world and begin with us. We ask it in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen.